Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the state of spiritual apostasy as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now as we finished 1 Kings, we were dealing with basically the northern kingdom under Ahab with his wicked wife Jezebel who had brought the northern kingdom of Israel into its lowest state morally and spiritually as they led the people into idolatry and more specifically the worship of Baal which was introduced by Jezebel, who was from the area of Sidon, and that was one of the major gods of Sidon. And so she introduced that to the children of Israel in their worship, and thus the Israel was sinking into a state of great spiritual apostasy. Now, at the end of 1 Kings, we came to the death of Ahab, and his son Ahaziah ascending to the throne who reigned for only two years over Israel. And during the time of Ahaziah, Moab, which of course is across the Jordan River, the present area known as Jordan, who were vassals and tributaries to the king of Israel, rebelled against Israel, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. So he had an accident and fell down through this lattice work from the upper chamber and was injured. And he ordered his servants to go to Ekron to inquire of the god of Ekron, which was Baalzebub. Now, the word Baal is a word that means Lord. And so the people were worshiping the Lord, but the Lord wasn't God. It was their Lord, and Baalzebub is actually Lord of the Flies. So these people in Ekron were evidently worshiping flies. Now, to me, it is always strange how otherwise normally intelligent people who when they reject the worship of God will believe and do such stupid things. I'm always amazed at the almost lunacy of people in their ideas, in their concepts, when they have forsaken the true and the living God. David said, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And certainly when a person tries to rule God out of their lives, they become guilty of extremely foolish things. Can you possibly imagine worshiping a fly calling it your Lord, 
Now, in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives us a little insight into man who, when he knew God, failed to glorify him as God. Neither was he thankful. Therefore, his foolish heart was darkened. And Paul tells us how he worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Now, there are people today who, who look at a flower and say that is God, or they look at a tree and say that is God. So it's not much different than looking at a fly and saying that is God. For they are worshiping sort of nature. And people say, well, I find God in nature, and, and they worship nature. As Paul said, they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Now, that is an irrational way to look at creation. You are looking at the creation of God, and then you're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. The true rational way to look at creation is to marvel at the genius of design, but then worship the creator rather than the creation. Now, in reality, a fly is designed very ingeniously. They are a pest, but yet they are remarkable little creatures. I'm amazed at their determination to get into the house and their ability to do so. Just sort of cruising around the door until you open the door and zoom right past you. And I like to observe flies. I've studied many of them under the microscope. I'm intrigued at their vision, the ability to see almost in a 360 degree capacity. You try to sneak up behind them and they, they see you coming. They have great vision. And I, I really am intrigued with the, the many facets within a fly's eye that gives them the capacity of, of such tremendous peripheral vision. I'm fascinated with the little gyroscopes under the wings that help him in his uh, equilibrium as he flies. And I've always been curious how they can land feet first on the ceiling. <laughs> now, how close do they get to the ceiling before they flip over so they can land feet first? <laughs> you ever thought about that? <laughs> so they are a marvelous little creature. But surely they are not to be worshipped. And yet man, poor man, so ignorant in his worship once he has ruled God out, worships things that to look at them with just a rational mind is absolute idiocy. People have created their own concepts of God which they worship, their own ideas. And he sent these servants down to Ekron to inquire of the god of Ekron, Belzebub, 
to find out if he was going to recover from the injuries he sustained in this accident. And Elijah the prophet came out to meet the messengers, and he said, Is it because there is no God in Israel that the king is sending to Ekron to find out concerning his condition? You go back and tell him that the Lord says he's not going to recover from his illness, but he's going to die. This is only after two years of reigning, the message from the Lord. So when the servants returned, the, the king said, How come you came back? I ordered you to go to Ekron. And they said, Well, a man met us on our way and told us to return to you with a message from Jehovah that you are going to die. And he said, What did the man look like? And they answered, he was a hairy man. And he had a leather girdle about his loins. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Now, John the Baptist was a rugged kind of character, and no doubt Elijah was a very rugged character, wearing just sort of a leather skirt, around his waist and a very hairy guy showing up here and there and uh, yet a man who was in touch with God in such a mighty way. So the king ordered a captain over 50 men to go with his 50 men down and take Elijah and bring him back to the king. And so the captain with his 50 men regiment came to Elijah who was sitting on a hill and he said, Oh, man of God, the king has sent me to take you to him. And Elijah said, If I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the captain with his 50. So the king sent a second captain with 50 men down to take Elijah and to bring him back. And Elijah, still sitting there on the hill, the second captain said, O oh man of God, this king has sent for you to come to him. And he said, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you with your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him with his 50 men. The third captain was sent out with 50 men. And he came on his knees before Elijah and said, O oh, man of God, have mercy on me. I'm only doing my duty. I'm a family man. And all of my men here are family men. But the king has requested that you would come down to him. If you don't mind, we sure wish you'd go. And the Lord spoke unto Elijah and said, Go with him unto the king. So Elijah came unto uh, this king who was the son of Ahab, and he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but you're surely going to die. And so he died, according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram 
reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, because he had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the kings of Israel? Now watch it here. You've got a Jehoram ruling in the north and a Jehoram ruling in the south. So things are going to get confusing here for a little bit. Ahaziah was young when he started to reign. He did not have any sons. He reigned only for two years and he died. And so his brother, Jehoram, began to reign over Israel because there was no eldest son to pass it on to. Then the next oldest son of Ahab took over the throne in Israel. Now he took it over. His name was the same as the name of the king of Judah. So for a little bit here, it's going to be a little difficult to follow the kingdom of the north in contrast with the, in contrast with the kingdom of the south because they are both ruled over at this point by men whose name is Jehoram. And so it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So the time has come when Elijah is going to depart the earth. And we gave you sort of a thumbnail sketch of Elijah who will be coming back again. It is very possible that he is alive somewhere on the earth right now. For he will be one of the two witnesses who will witness to Israel during this time in which God is going to deal with the nation Israel again for seven years. And Elijah will be one of those two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. And because we are so close to that time, it is very possible that he is alive and, and uh, around someplace right now, just waiting, really, for the church to be taken out so that he can begin his ministry unto the nation Israel. But the time has now come, historically, where he is going to be caught up into heaven in a whirlwind. And so Elisha is following him, and they came to Gilgal, which is, oh, north of Jerusalem. It's in the Jerusalem mountains there, and it is probably 15 miles from Jerusalem. And Elijah said to Elisha, You stay here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me unto Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I'm not going to leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now they are actually moving from Gilgal to Bethel. They are going in a easterly direction, and they are moving down towards Jericho. Now when they came to Bethel, certain sons of the prophets came out, and they said to Elisha, do you know that your master is going to be taken away from you today? And he said, yes, I know it. Hold your peace. So Elijah said to Elisha, you wait here, for I'm going on down to Jericho. Now from Bethel to Jericho, there's a winding valley, and it's a distance about 18 miles on down to Jericho, downhill all the way from Bethel. 
And as they came to Jericho, certain sons of the prophets came out and said to Elisha, do you know that your master is going to be taken away from you today? And he said, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, you wait here. For the Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. And he said, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to leave you. So the two went on. And 50 men of the prophets went, and they stood to view from a distance. And they stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together, and he smote the waters, and they were divided, so that the two went over on dry ground. Now, this... <laughs> must have been quite an experience as these 50 guys were watching to see this prophet take his mantle and hit the water and watch them divide so the two guys walked across on dry ground. It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, I pray, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, nevertheless. If you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if not, it shall not be so. And so it came to pass, as they still went on and they were talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and the horses of fire, and they parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him as he was going up, and he went back to the bank of the Jordan River, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he smote the waters, and he said, Where is? Jehovah, God of Elijah. And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were there by Jericho watching, saw what happened, that this, they said, The spirit of Elijah does rest upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So here we see sort of the passing of a mantle an anointing from one man to another. As Elijah has finished his ministry and is caught away by the Spirit into heaven, and Elisha asking for that double portion, that he might receive that sort of inheritance, the anointing of God's Spirit upon his life, that he might continue the ministry of Elijah. And as he came back, taking the mantle of Elijah, striking the water, and the question, where is Jehovah, God of Elijah? I often wonder today concerning miracles and where is the God of Elijah? I am not at all satisfied with the hyped-up programs of so many evangelists and the atmosphere in which the miracles supposedly take place. 
I really do not believe that God needs to work in a circus tent environment, but I believe that he can work in very easy, natural ways. And that when you have this super emotional environment, that many times God doesn't always receive the full credit and the glory for that which is accomplished. But many times the instruments so manipulate and sometimes are just so weird that they draw your attention and it's hard to really think of, of, of the Lord. There are, there are men who deliberately seek to draw attention to themselves. I have wondered why it is that we do not see more dramatic kind of miracles, which I know that God is able to perform. continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 1 through 2 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. the Lord be with you and bless and keep you in his love and draw you nearer unto himself as he works in your heart by his spirit. And may this week your eyes be kept upon Jesus that God might by his spirit bring to pass those changes in our lives whereby he will conform us into his image for his sake. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, 
where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.